Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8. And then I'm going to be going to the book of Genesis and uh, just read a couple of scriptures there. But the book of Hebrews 11 and 8, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing whether he went. I know we've read this scripture perhaps many times, not just collectively, but you've probably read it many times in your own on your own time. But let's just read that again. Let's do it a little bit methodically and consider the progression here. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whether he went. This was something that was going to happen in his life. But the Bible says that he went out. He obeyed and went out. And then in Genesis, staying with the same story, but Genesis 18 and 9, the Bible says, And when they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? He, being Abraham, said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. And we know that the scripture goes on to say that at this point she laughed. And so would we if we were given an equal promise at that juncture in our life. And so I'm going to just speak for a little while this evening on what to do with the promise. God had given a tremendous promise to Abraham and Sarah. But as we know from scripture It's easy for us because we can jump ahead. As we know from Scripture, that that promise was fulfilled, but it was a while in being fulfilled. And so what do we do with the promise? Amen. May the Lord bless you. And you you can be seated. I'm just going to ask you to stay with me tonight all the way to the end, and let's ask the Lord to touch his word to our heart. I think the, the Scripture account of Abraham in his dealing with Abraham and Sarah is probably one of the most revealing passages of Scripture, at least early on, of God's account of his love and his plan for humankind. I don't ever want to forget David's question when he asked, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And so when we think about man and all of its frailty and flaws contrasted against the majesty and the perfection of the Lord, And then we see God in his tenderness and in his gentle nature dealing with Abraham and Sarah and just kind of revealing to not just Abraham and Sarah but to all of us even here tonight how God wants to deal with each and every one of us that he has a plan for our lives. 
So in God's call to Abraham, he made it clear to him that this was not just a promise to you, but this will be a promise to your descendants. And so he speaks to him. We, we pick up the reading in Genesis 11, then we move to Genesis 12, that God said to Abraham after he had come partially into the promise in Genesis chapter 11, he did move a little bit away from the land of the Ur of Chaldees, but he came to another place, Haran, and he dwelt there. And that's how chapter 11 closes. But halfway to the promise is not the will of God. And so God spoke to him again and said, get out of thy country and away from thy kindred. That's Genesis 12 and 1. Now, the Lord didn't tell him where he was going. He just said what to do at this point. And sometimes we really struggle when God doesn't fill in all the blanks. But if you notice anything about this common denominator in the Lord is that God rarely fills in all the blanks. He just gives us instructions here and it's what we do with that that really will matter in our future. So as Abraham began to obey, it was then that God began to bless him. So on this journey of faith, God reiterated those promises again and again, but I don't think any of that would have happened if Abraham had not first moved and stepped by obedience into the plan and the will of God. I think the promises of the Lord could be seen perhaps on three, in three different facets, that one of those promises is that you will be the father of many nations. That's what the scripture says to a man who has no children. You're gonna be the father of many nations. He said, secondly, that, that you and your descendants are going, to, are, you are going to have a land called a land of promise or a land that flows with milk and honey, as it is referred to in Genesis 11 and 12. That's where you're going to dwell, to you and your descendants. And then thirdly, that through one of his own descendants, that all of the people of the earth would be blessed. And so your seed is just not going to die, but it's going to touch every descendant of the earth. Now that's a broad, very broad promise. We do know from just looking at the life of Abraham, if you have ever considered any of his life's journey, there are some times that we see Abraham and his shortcomings. We see him in his flesh and his frailty and his failures. His faith and his faithfulness, however, give us I think a clear insight to the divine power of God and the intervention of God. Throughout the word of the Lord, there, there is a divine principle involving, I think, the promises of God toward people. There's this line of continuity. And so we see that God always has a plan of redemption that he's constantly reaching for us. And I'm thankful for that. The times that I feel like that I don't deserve I, when I deserve the Lord the least, it seems like that's when he shows up the strongest in my life, amen? And so we see after man's fall in the Garden of Eden that God immediately put a plan into motion to restore that broken fellowship and that began to unfold immediately. However, since God's plan always includes our own will, this is where the slope gets slippery because we have to, we have to yield our will to the will of God. And so I have to learn how to cooperate with God in order to experience the promises. So no, no matter what God would promise, if I am not obedient and do not walk forward in what God has promised, then I'm never going to receive that. Some of the promises of God, of course, are therefore here and now. Some of the promises of God are right here today. Promises like salvation or 
healing or deliverance or guidance in our life, comfort, anointing, whatever the list could go on and on in that regard. Those are promises that we feel right now. The Bible says if we would gather together in his name, he would be in our midst. I have felt him in the midst tonight of our being together. And he said if he would be lifted up, he would draw men to him tonight in our praise and worship. And I'm not saying this for the sake of convenience, but I truly mean this, that as we begin to magnify the name of the Lord, I feel a drawing in his, of his presence in my heart. So those promises are here. They're here and now. But some of the promises of God are not for today. They're not here and now, but they're promises for our future. Like things like the redemption of our body or the rapture of the church and, and uh, heaven as it is described in the, in the, in the book of Revelation. And so uh, there are a lot of promises that God has given us for now and yet promises that God has for us in our future. But even the promises that God gives to us here and now in this life and on this earth do not always unfold for us immediately. I've had the Lord promise me some things and it's just human nature to kind of go to the front door and see if it's in the yard, right? That's just kind of the human nature. You just kind of peer through the window. You think for sure that it's just gonna be on the doorstep, and they, but it doesn't always happen that way and, and uh, God may delay for whatever reason, but I think sometimes the delay of God is to test us and to strengthen our faith. It's not to mess with us. We should never feel like that God is just toying with us or God is just merely playing games, but it's to strengthen our faith. And so that time of, of, of waiting may be more difficult uh, when we feel like that we've done everything we know to do, when we've obeyed and we have just walked as far as we know how to walk I'm speaking right where some of us are living tonight. It's a little more difficult when we feel like that we've met all of our obligations. I, I fulfilled everything that I know to do and I feel that I am at the end of myself and so it's in those seasons that the waiting can seem longer. Amen. I believe that we can still claim the promises of God even when we can't possess the promises of God. God has made some promises to me. I'm talking about me personally, just like he's made promises to you. And I don't possess those promises right now, but I claim them on a very regular basis. I know there are times of discouragement and times of disappointment, but I don't want that to overshadow my faith. And I wanna just hold on and claim those promises. And so it's in our seasons of waiting that God brings us in that time closer to him and draws us closer to him. I believe that, uh, that we can mature in those times and, and uh, we, we can relate to being a child and it just seemed as though as a child that some events in our life would never get there. They would just never happen. Whatever it may be, a, a special birthday or a special event in our lives, we just wonder if it's ever gonna happen. But all the while we were waiting, we were maturing, we were growing. And so it is spiritually that sometimes God in that waiting process allows us to mature in him. Peter uh, gives us some instructions of, to, as to what we should do in response to the Lord. I believe there's a lot of, places in scripture we can find people that have had promises and then have been put in seasons of waiting. Simon Peter added some details to enable us, I think, to understand how we should respond to what God is trying to work out in us and through us. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, uh, this is what Simon Peter said. He said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. 
And so if God has promised you something marvelous or promised me something marvelous, I think the very first thing that I should do is humble myself in the sight of the Lord. I mean, he will do the exalting when it's time to do that. He said in verse seven, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Here's some more instructions. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfastness in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you have suffered for a while or suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. I mean, there's some things that are going on in our seasons of waiting. We can't perceive that always. And, and sometimes we feel like that God has just kind of abandoned us and left us a little bit destitute. But he said, in that process, something is happening to you. I think I used this illustration recently, but uh, I, I'm not having time this for sure. I'm just guessing here, but I think you could probably stir up a little bit of hamburger meat. You could dump in some tomatoes and some beans, a little chili season, and probably about 10 or 12, 15 minutes, you could eat chili. And you can call it chili, and it would really be chili. But there's just something about getting it all together and then just putting the lid on it. And just let it simmer for a while. And there's nothing like the last bite of that pot, is there? Because it's now it has really reached that place of perfection. And so the same thing happens in us. Maybe all the ingredients are right there and we feel like we're ready and it, it ought to be happening for us right now. And the Lord says, you know, we can let this happen right now, but if we'll wait, there'll be a, something that'll be in us that will establish us, that can perfect us, that can strengthen us, some things that can establish our steps and settle us. So in light of this passage, we understand that God has a purpose ultimately in the dealing with us. God brings us toward perfection while we wait with patience and, and, uh, and especially in the day and age in which we live in, in our society, it, is, it's, it goes against the grain. It is counterculture for us to want to wait or to even have to wait on certain things. We want everything now. And I think because of that, that brings even a greater struggle spiritually because we are so accustomed to whatever we want, we can have it within just a few minutes. It can be made possible. There are some in this building tonight that would have never dreamed there would be a day that you could order something this afternoon from the West Coast and it would be on your doorstep tomorrow. And there would be no way to fathom that something could move just that fast. But if we're not careful, we can just assume that heaven is on that same schedule. And just because we uttered it today, that it should be made, uh, that it should be made whole or made uh, revealed in our lives within a short period of time. But you see, God is always faithful to give something in due time. He knows when we need it and when we can really handle it. The faith of Abraham, I think, is demonstrated all throughout his life. As I stated earlier, despite his failure, failures, Abraham still left this world with a title as the father of the faithful. Even though we understand that Abraham had some shortcomings. Now, those things give me faith. And I'm glad that the Bible doesn't take any pain to hide the flaws of its characters. And it speaks to us 
in all of their glory and in all of their failure. And I don't want to be condoning sin or, or anything of that nature, but we can see the frailty of humanity and yet God still uses them. And, and because of that, I feel confident tonight that God can still use me. In, in his initial obedience, the Bible in our scripture text tonight that tells us that, that the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Abraham, he heard that word and he obeyed that word. And I believe it was his initial obedience to leave his homeland and family that, that really garnered the attention of God but the blessings of God were not immediately shown just because he moved immediately. But in time, God did reward Abraham openly for his sacrifice and for his obedience to his word. But that faith would not just be tried one time, but God was gonna try the reigns of Abraham again and again and again and again. That same faith is often operating in us today as we respond to the call of salvation. We may still be called on today to do some things just like Abraham was called on. The Lord spoke to Abraham in Genesis 11 said, get out of the land of your family or your forefathers. And he said, come to a place that I wanna take you to. And so we may think that that would be foreign in the 21st century, but it is not because we may be called on today to forsake some family or maybe forsake friends or, or jobs or even traditions in order to follow where the Lord would really like to take us. Amen, and so I wanna heed that calling. And if God has made me a promise, even though I don't understand all of the ins and outs of that, I wanna step into that promise and begin to walk forward. Not only did Abraham initially obey the call of God, but he also continued to trust God and his blessings and, in his, and for his provision day by day by day. When Lot's herdsmen and the Abraham herdsmen began to have strife in the camp, it became necessary for these two men to divide their herds and go their separate ways. And so let's look again into the heart, into the eyes of Abraham. Here is Abraham who had received the promise of the Lord. He was the one that had stepped out. It was his obedience, it was his faith that even brought them to where they were. But even at this point, Abraham offered, the, offered Lot the choices of which way to go. He was gonna be willing to trust God no matter which way you take. He said, if you want this, then I'll take that. Or if you want that, then I'll take this. Abraham was saying, whichever way I go, God will take care of me. He will bless me. Abraham didn't say, well, you know, I've been in this thing a lot longer than you and it was the Lord that spoke to me way back and so I'm gonna take the best of the best. He said, right here, I'm gonna trust you again and again and again. Lot chose what appealed to the natural eye and we understand from reading that story what it ended with. On the other hand, God rewarded Abraham. And when Abraham, according to what we find in Scripture, we understand that Lot took the better of the paths. But nevertheless, if, even though Abraham took the lesser of the paths, God still rewarded Abraham and increased his wealth and increased his strength, even when he took the path that was least appealing than the, than, the, than the two that was presented. When the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah became involved in war, Lot and his family were captured, and you've probably read the story. What happened here was that Abraham armed his servants to come and rescue Lot. It was right here again that Abraham had another choice to make. When the king of, of Sodom offered Abraham his spoils, Abraham realized, if I allow you to bless me, then you'll tell the rest of the world that you are the man who made me what I'm supposed to be. And so Abraham, are you gonna trust in the hand of flesh 
Are you gonna trust in the hand of God? And so one more time, Abraham says, you just keep everything that you were intending to give and I'm gonna let God make me what he would have me to be. Abraham refused that, trusting not the riches of man, but the riches of God. After Abraham and Sarah had gone through years of waiting upon what God had promised them, which was, we understand, a child that they would name Isaac. Later, when Isaac was a young man, God called Abraham to the ultimate test, the last test, if you please. God told Abraham to take him to Mount Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. And again, we find this same man of faith with all of his frailties obeyed, demonstrating some, I think, astonishing faith in the Lord. To fully understand the depth of Abraham's faith, we need to contrast that, this promise now fulfilled, contrast that against years and years of waiting for God to bring this to fruition. It had taken a miracle of the Lord for this child to even be born to them. Hebrews 11, 11 and 12 declares that Sarah was past the time of childbearing and that Abraham was as good as dead. That's what the scripture says that she was past the age of childbearing and that Abraham was as good as dead. And so to offer up this son, to realize that he didn't have it within himself to reproduce this again was a supreme sacrifice. But again, Abraham submitted himself to the will of God. And I believe that when God saw the demonstration of his faith because he said, now I know, he meant he intervened and provided a ram for that sacrifice. It, it may really be kind of difficult for us to understand the magnitude of, uh, of uh, this kind of faith on Abraham's part, especially since there were times in his life, as I mentioned, that we saw his human uh, demeanor revealed. On one occasion, uh, he presented his wife not as his wife, but as his sister in the presence of Pharaoh because he was fearing for his own life. Another time, he agreed with Sarah in a sinister plan because they got impatient while they were waiting on this child, this promised child to be born, that they would raise up an heir by, an heir by Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. However, despite all of these times of mistakes and wonderings and stumblings, Abraham remained faithful to the call that God had placed upon his life. As a matter of fact, God, the call that God had on Abraham's life is not any different than the call has on you and I tonight. Amen. But what really made the difference, I think, is not the call, but it's what we do with the call. A lot of people are called to do things but they just don't have the depth of consecration and the depth of faith to step out and allow God to do something in their life. A lot of people have the hand of the Lord upon them to do something, but they won't dedicate themselves to it. As a matter of offering up Isaac, he demonstrated absolute dependence upon the Lord. If this is what you want, then I will give him to you. And Abraham did this in absolute faith that God could raise him back from the dead again. That's what Hebrews 11 and 19 says. He said, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. If I sacrifice him to you, Lord, you have the ability to raise him right back up. Abraham and Sarah gave all of God's people, I think, a clear demonstration of what it means to trust and obey the Lord. Amen. To some people, Sarah... Uh, maybe somewhat a surprising entry in the list of this hero of faith. In Genesis, we see 
very little to judge her perhaps, I'm talking about her individually as a hero other than her intense loyalty to her husband. We read in the scripture that she laughed when the angel said that she would bear a child in her old age. She also revealed some of her weaknesses when she decided that she would make a deal with Hagar and then sell Abraham on that idea. Apparently, she had lost faith in herself and she had lost faith in perhaps even her God. However, I think it's so important that we learn how to look past people's mistakes and look past their human frailty and let God work their, his perfect will in their life. I want to tell you tonight that anybody that is mightily used of God or anybody really for that matter, mightily used of God or not, have all got their own things to deal with in their life. Amen. Everybody has issues. Me, you, everybody that you'll ever meet in their life, they've got things about them that are hiccups or whatever, but we should never, we should never arrest somebody in, on, on the basis of what we see as something wrong in their life and not think that God can't use them despite that. That's right. Amen. We got to look beyond the frailties and the failures of people. I'm not talking about sin, but I'm just talking about flaws. We have to look beyond that and realize that God can work his perfect will even through a flawed vessel. In Sarah's, on, in, in Sarah's behalf, we recognize that she was indeed a, a, a great participant in this sacrifice. She fulfilled her role in conception. She was fulfilling her role in the delivery of the promised child. And the account of the book of Hebrews not only lists Sarah as one of the heroes of faith, but it also gives insight into the exercise of her faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 11 that Sarah judged him faithful who had promised. And so we see some frailties in her life. We see some mistakes in her life. But we also see that she said, I'm going to judge him faithful that promised. Amen. Now, if I ask you tonight, how many people here have ever staggered? We'd all have to raise at least one hand. If we've ever misstepped, if our faith has ever been to that place where it just wasn't what it should have been, we would all find ourselves in that category, and that's exactly where Abraham and Sarah were. No different than anybody sitting here. We can't be certain just when it was that this faith of Hebrews 11 and 11 came to Sarah, but thank God it came. At what point did she reach that place where she could say, I judge him faithful who has made this promise? It certainly wasn't before she made the deal with Abraham and Hagar concerning having their own child and just working this promise out ourselves. Her faith wasn't there then, but somewhere along the line, something got established in her. Something got perfected in her. And so it's in that waiting process that God has the ability to give birth to some tremendous things in our life. So what do we do with a promise? Amen. I submit to you tonight that what we do with a promise is that we keep holding, holding to it and that we walk forward with it. That we don't set it down. And so whenever this faith came to Sarah, she cooperated in obedience and in trust. And with Abraham, she became a parent herself of a promised child. That same promise that would touch the descendants of everyone, everyone would be touched by that. Throughout God's word, we are given just little small glimpses into the nature of God. We see how he works out his will uh, in making promises to, to people and then how they begin to obey him and walk in absolute faith. I think this principle is seen from the very beginning all the way to the end. 
We see how that God made a promise to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, this everything here is yours. The only thing you can't do is just touch and partake of the fruit of this particular tree. When they ate of that tree, of course, we know exactly what happened, that a flaming, they were cast out of the garden, a flaming sword was put there that they could never get back. God said, I'm gonna give you a promise. And that happened to be a, seeming like a negative situation, but God gives us a promise and then he watches to see what we're going to do with that. God gave Noah a promise. He gave him instructions for the building of an ark and he promised Noah that I will save you and all that will hear you, all that will believe you. Amen. And so those that believed him were saved. Those that didn't, did not. Amen. In their exodus from Egypt, the people of Israel sought to reach the promised land. Although it had been promised all the way back in the book of Genesis, many times after they made their exodus from Egypt, the people began to murmur about the hardships of the journey. And they said, oh, if we could just go back. How many times do we read about them saying, oh, if we could just have the leeks and the onions, if we could just get back to where we were, you've brought us out here to die. They wanted to get back. God judged their unbelief and would not allow that entire generation to walk into the promised land, all of them except two men that exercised great faith. And apparently they held on to the promise. Amen, they claimed the promise even though they couldn't possess the promise. They claimed it and they held on to that and they continued to walk forward. When it came time, we read more about Caleb's response here than we did about Joshua. But Caleb said, I am as strong now as I was the day that this promise was made to me. I believe that he stayed in possession of that promise and just kept living every day with a belief in his heart that God was going to give him the mountain that he had long before staked out. And so God works out his will in our life through the principle of a promise and then the obedience of our humankind through faith. In the New Testament era, we find this same thread of principle is evident. When Jesus walked on the water, he invited Simon Peter to come walk on the water with him. We understand the story from the story that, Jesus, that Peter obeyed the voice of the Lord to walk in faith. He enjoyed, certainly, the miracle of walking on the water, even though we understand that his faith died when he began to see the waves around him. And so we watch how that God made a promise and what God promised, if we would move forward in that promise, he said, I'll let you do what, I've, what you have what you have desired to do, what I've called you to do. We see that in our own life. It's a matter, I think, of demonstrating faith. It's a matter of what we're going to do once God has made that promise. Amen. I, I, I believe that I'm speaking tonight to men and women that God has made a promise and you've been claiming that promise for a long time. Maybe not possessing it, but you've claimed that promise. I believe there are others tonight and even perhaps different circumstances in those same lives where God made a promise and you claimed it, amen. And it's not just a claim check in your hand tonight, but you're in possession of some of those things that God said you could have, amen. This is the essence of living by faith. To walk by faith in obedience to God's word, I believe is what we, what, what we describe as being led by the spirit. I wanna be sensitive to the spirit of God. Since the spirit and the word are one and the same, and since walking after the spirit is in a direct confrontation to walking after the flesh, walking in the spirit then is certainly a walk of faith. When God calls us to walk in the spirit, that is adverse to walking in the flesh. Amen. So it is an exercise of faith. 
However, such a life is such a life constantly produces miracles all along the way. Those lives that are touched and changed by those around us that are walking in faith. Aren't you glad somebody before you kept just walking in faith? I'm gonna tell you tonight, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but we're here this evening because people kept walking. They just kept walking. Not because everything was fine in their life, not because everything was just exactly like they thought it was gonna be, but they just held on to a promise and they just kept walking. There is no secret to success. There is no formula. There is no magic wand to wave over anything. It's just holding on to the promises of the Lord and saying until he fulfills this, I'm going to stay faithful to him. I'm going to stay dedicated to his call. I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. In the book of Luke, the Lord instructed his disciples to go back to Jerusalem and tarry until they be endued with power. And so by faith, they went back to tarry until they received the promise, and that promise was the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus made the promise directly, again, as he was ascending to heaven. Initially, if we go back before this New Testament reference, we can go back into the Old Testament and find prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel that promised of this Holy Spirit coming. Jesus made this promise himself as he was about to ascend, but this promise had been made a long time before Jesus uttered these words. In the Gospels, both John the Baptist and Jesus prophesied about the great coming event of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We find that recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John. In obedience to the Lord's command to tarry, about 120 people gathered in the upper room. They assembled themselves on the day of Pentecost, and then on the day of Pentecost, the spirit and the power of that promise came into fulfillment. Amen. I'm thankful today for people that just moved in obedience to the word and the will of God. And I'm gonna say it again. We are where we are tonight because some people got a promise and just kept walking. The promise looks differently today. There's a lot more fruit of that promise and the revelation of that promise is a lot more clear. But some just received a promise and began to walk. It's what we do with the promise, what we do with the promise. When they obeyed his command by faith, the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them and they were empowered then to fulfill the commission that God had placed on them and that was to preach this same gospel everywhere they went. Consequently, miracles followed the ministry of the disciples and God confirmed his words with sign following according to Mark 16. Again, it was the application of this one same principle that if God gives us a promise that we move in obedience to that, it's what we do with that promise. It's not just hearing it, not just receiving it. It's what we're gonna do with that. Amen, that is what brought about the reality of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It also opened the door to anybody, whosoever will, that would walk according to the plan of salvation in Acts 2.38. And so when Jesus called the disciples, he promised them that if they would follow him, he said, I will make you fishers of men. Or in other words, they would be themselves soul winners, if, if we could use our language today. On another occasion, Jesus used fish as a type of souls and he, he told his disciples after they had told all night long with absolutely no results, he said, if you'll just launch out again over here, cast your nets on the other side. 
Now, he, Jesus was a carpenter, as someone said recently. <laughs> and he was talking to fishermen. And the carpenter said to the fishermen, if you'll do it this way, that could have been a conflict right there. Because what do you know about fishing? But they obeyed. It was that act of obedience. And according to the scripture, they had such a draw of fish that the ships they were in could not even contain. And so Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1 and 8, this was what was said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And so from this verse and others, it's clear that God intended for the church not to just get this promise and sit on it, but God intended for us to receive this gift and then begin to share this gospel with everybody that we possibly can. God called everybody to be a soul winner. He's empowered the church for this task. We're not just entertainers. We're not entertainers, period. We're not here to entertain. We're not here to just meet sometimes the gratif- or to gratify the flesh of people, but we're here to reach out to the souls of people. Amen. So it's clear that if we claim these promises to be a soul winner, that God will provide the harvest. And so it's up to the church to possess this and what we're going to do with that. Amen. So in light of God's promise to make us soul winners, he didn't just call us to do something, but he also empowered us for the task. Abraham and Sarah somehow, as we stand, Abraham and Sarah somehow overcame unbelief. They overcame adverse circumstances. They even overcame their own flesh getting in the way. They navigated and persevered through the lack of faith. They somehow just overcame, pressed on, and they believed God, that God would bring about what he promised. And because they believed God, and I hope that I've clearly painted this picture tonight, because sometimes we think that God promises something and all of heaven is lit, is, all of heaven lights up and the angels are singing and that promise is just placed into our arms. It certainly isn't that way and it certainly wasn't that way for Abraham and Sarah, but they just kept pushing. They just kept walking and Isaac was born to the most unlikely set of parents in the world. He was the seed indeed proven to be whom all others would receive even a greater inheritance. The same kind of obedient faith that brought Isaac to Abraham and Sarah enables us today to keep bringing forth spiritual children and let them experience the power and the presence of the Lord. And if I could just say right here today that as a side note, when the Lord allows new children to be born into the church, we can't, we can't, just, we can't allow them to just die by the wayside no more than we would do that to a natural child. We've got to make sure that they're fed. We've got to make sure that we make every effort within our power that life can be sustained in them. Amen. We need the hand of God. And so what do we do with a promise? When God makes us a promise, I will tell you this, and I feel like that it will be possibly misunderstood because it made me feel like I'm oversimplifying the process, but it's really the truth. What, what, what do we do when we receive a promise is that we just keep walking. We just keep walking. If it is here in my life today, then so be it. But if it is not, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to claim it until I possess it. I'm going to live that, not falsely, not pretentiously, and not, uh, not to be misunderstood in that light at all. 
but I'm just going to walk with that promise. Amen. And because Abraham and Sarah continued to move forward, even though they made mistakes, God smiled on them and he brought into their life everything that he said he would do. Amen. I wonder if we would lift our hands together. Can we receive the word of the Lord tonight? Let's close our service and magnify him in this song. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.